0: Amen. Hey, it's good to have our, uh, our Greek students back. I know recruitment was last week, and you all are probably exhausted, so if you need to lean back and take a nap during my talk, feel free. Um, it is good to have you all back. I know uh, it's, I was in a uh, fraternity in a small college in California, Pomona College. You all have heard of it? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. We do share something with UTC. Our mascot was a sage hen. Does anybody know what a sage hen is? It is a desert chicken that plays dead when attacked. True story. (laughs) I wouldn't laugh. Up until like last year, you all had a mascot that was a chicken that drived a train, right? Or a mockingbird that drove a train. So how did that happen with wings? What? They're mean? mean? Good luck with that one. Um... (laughs) Hey, if you weren't here last week, and, and uh, just treat this like you just added a class, okay? How many of you just out of curiosity who added two classes to what they originally signed up for? Two. Who who changed three classes? Added or dropped three classes? No? Seriously? In the back, seniors probably. Um, no, but four. Anybody dropped four classes? I'm gonna give you a prize if you do. Yeah, liar. Um, did you drop four, really, Rick? Rick dropped four, ladies and gentlemen. Let's give him a hand. Jason, can we come up with something for him? Because I don't really have a prize, but we'll see Jason in the back. He'll get you something. <clears throat> um, hey, so anyway, treat this like you just added class. Hopefully you won't drop it next week. Um, but uh, this is what we talked about last week. We're doing a series entitled, um, I'm going to put this down. This bothers me. Um, sorry, guys. Um, we're doing a series on the Ten Commandments. And last week we just talked about the, this idea that, that God does not just issue the Ten Commandments in a vacuum. That he, before he gives any sort of commandment at all, he says these words, I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. If you know the the story of the Bible, you've been around church at all, the people of Israel, the children of God, were were held in slavery for 400 years in the land of Egypt. And God rescued them, delivered them, and redeemed them and brought them out of the land of Egypt, out out of the house of slavery. Okay, And so one of the things we talked about last week was that, that God gives commandments only out of that relationship, reminding his people who he is and who they are in his sight. And I challenged us with this question, what's your story? What has God brought you out of? What, 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 what kind of thing could you say right now to somebody that, well, this, this God that, that I've been worshiping since I was 8, 9, 10, whatever, since my parents have been taking me all my life or whatever, this God is the one who brought me out of what? And I, I said that, you know, for some of you, that, that maybe we don't have an answer to that question yet. That maybe these next four or five, whatever years you're here in Chattanooga, that you discover what God is capable of bringing you out of. Whatever struggle you have now, whatever struggle you may have. And I'm not trying to sound like doomsday and like, oh, you're going to go through, you know, so much crap these next four or five years or whatever. But there might be some things. And God might show himself to be something more than the God of your boyfriend's or girlfriend's faith or the God of your parents' church. He might reveal himself personally and powerfully to you. So if you weren't here last week, that's what we talked about. And with this week, now we're going to talk about the very first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, one of the things I shared last week was a little bit about my story. And and I did not at all grow up in the church and was taught to believe that there was no God at all. And So when I first heard those words, and I think for some of us when we honestly hear that, we have a hard time putting that in any sort of context. You shall have no other gods before me? What does God want from that? Why would would that be the very first commandment? How, How can he say that? Why does he say that? Remember, what, and I'm going to say this probably all throughout the semester, that God gives us commandments out of relationship. And what I'm going to say next might hurt a little bit. So if those of us that hear the words, you shall have no other gods before me, if we balk at that, maybe it's because we don't have a relationship with him. Let me explain what I mean. Before I ever stepped foot in a church, first time I ever went to any church service, I was 17 years old. But before any of us have this idea of who God is, when we hear some being that we don't know very well say to us, you shall have no other gods before me, We might want to know a little bit more about him. Now, I know that my image of God, if there was one, and I certainly didn't think that there was, was that what the little I knew about the story of the Bible went something like this. And this is just my, I'm just being honest about what my interpretation was before I had any sort of knowledge of anybody ever sat down with me and explained the, the, the gospel. And I'd never been to church or anything. I kind of had heard this story about this grandfatherly type figure that created something in the garden, which sounded like a bunch of garbage to me. And then things got really ugly for a while, and somehow he kind of got belligerent and maybe even a little bit drunk, and he got really angry for a long time. Old Testament. That was my view of the Old Testament. Then he got nice again. And there was this guy named Jesus that walked around and did a lot of things. But then something bad happened to him. And don't even get me started on Revelation because that's a weird book. That was my idea of the Bible, okay? I don't know how many of you have that same kind of view. There's a handful of people I know that are involved here in the house that are taking Old Testament, right, here at UTC. And I don't know how it's going to be taught or whatever, but, but it's a big book. And my view of God through that story was such a shadow. It wasn't even close to who God is. But some of us might hear these kind of words still from the Old Testament as the belligerent, angry God that is just me. But one of the things I want to do in this whole series as we're going through the Ten Commandments is say to you that the God who speaks at the foot of Mount Sinai to the children of Israel is the same God who speaks through Jesus when he walked on this earth. They are one and the same. And if you stop and think about it, that's a radical claim. We're not gonna talk a ton about that tonight, but we will. So, here, instead, you shall have no other gods before me with perhaps a different tone. It's not a belligerent and angry God demanding worship. Let me explain. What I hear now, what I hear now when I hear those words is not a belligerent and angry God, but maybe there's two images that I want to share with you tonight. One is that I hear more of a father more of a father. I shared with you all last week that that my wife and I are just about four weeks home from um, coming home from Ethiopia where we adopted 18-month-old twins. And it's been a -a two-and-a-half-year process for us. It's been a long, long road, something that God had placed in our hearts a long time ago. And one of the things when we were preparing to travel there that we both had in our minds and, and something that we prayed for a lot was that first time of meeting okay you can kind of picture it with me we flew in it was a you know about an 18-hour flight from Atlanta to Amsterdam Amsterdam to Addis Ababa in and in Ethiopia and our our agency Christian World Adoption had placed our twins in a in kind of a transition home with about uh, eight to ten other children that were preparing uh, to to meet their parents and that we, we, we thought a lot about that very first day. We had seen pictures of them. They had never met us. They were 18 months old. They don't, they don't really grasp this idea. But imagine with me what that would have been like for Kelsey and me to walk into this room and to see Simone and Justice. They were given the names Elizabeth and Sagab, which is an Amharic name meaning God's grace. It's kind of cool, isn't it? And think about this. I don't know if you all do this. This is kind of an aside, but, but, you know, do you ever do this? If you have a relationship with God and you think you're doing something really cool for him and he's you, and you, like, hey, way to go and all that stuff, and, you, and you're going to have that moment, don't you kind of, like, picture that it's like every sound is going to evaporate and Michael W. Smith's Friends are Friends Forever is going to kick in? And <laughs> that was more my generation. Who's the cheesy Christian now? Michael W. Smith's actually a good musician, but who would be a cheesy Christian musician now? Who? Chris Tomlin? Man, that dates me a little. Um, <laughs> there was a time when he was cool, young man. Um, okay, so I'm going to stick with Michael W. Smith, Friends of Friends Forever. Okay, Michael W. Smith, Friends of Friends Forever comes in, and it's like, it's like you know, the fog lifts and all that kind of stuff, and, and you kind of picture, you know, I'm romanticizing this a little bit, but, but that maybe the twins would just, you know, they would lift their heads up, and they would almost jump out of their cribs and run to us. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that just be a beautiful picture? Wouldn't it be a just amazing thing and it's kind of like God bestowing his blessing upon that moment? Can I tell you what happened? We walked into the room. And there was about six or eight other kids about that same age in this room. And Simone and Justice looked at us pressed their backs up against the wall, and began to scream. They began to cry. And it would be 15, 20, 30 minutes before they could be comforted. And it was one of the hardest things for Kelsey and me. These were and are the children that God has given us to be a part of our family but as kelsey and i were thinking about it that night our agency actually had recommended to us that we would go and play with them that day and then go go home to our uh, the guest house that we were staying in and then come back the next day and play with them more and all that that night one of the things that that i said to kelsey was this because we had we had traveled to where the twins had been born we had seen the way our agency had taken care of these these orphans and children And it's part of Ethiopian culture, by the way, to love their children. These caretakers pick them up and they hug them, they squeeze their cheeks, they sing to them, they play with them constantly. If you have any pictures of, I don't know what you think of when you think of these orphanages, of 50 cribs in a room and just one person trying to, you know, there's dirty diapers everywhere. It's not like that, at least where we were. These kids were loved, and they played with their friends, and they, they cared for one another. And all I could say to Kelsey that, that night when we, had been, uh, we were upset, that the first reaction of our children to us was one of absolute fear. I looked at her, and I said, you know, maybe when you know that you've been loved well, you don't go running to strangers. Maybe when you've been loved well, you don't go running to strangers. Now, the good news is that over time, as Simone and Justice have been home with us, they've learned to trust us and love us. But in that first moment, they did not know us. What they did know were the people that had cared for them and loved them. Now, it was mentioned earlier the Dominican Republic trip. Those of you that have been, and I don't know how many are in this room that have been, it might be 80 or 100 people that have, every spring we take 60-some people to the Dominican Republic and work with Haitian refugees every spring break here at UTC. Every person that's been on that trip will tell you the same thing. When you get off the bus in whatever village you go to, the kids come running. The kids come running to you. They want to be held. They want you to hold their hand. They want you to play with them. You cannot let go of them for the entire time that you're there. What is the difference? One of the reasons why we go every year is that those those kids are left on their own in those villages. Their parents either have to go into the city to work, or their parents, part of their culture is that just get the kids out of the house. So the kids in the Dominican Republic come running to strangers because they don't know what it means to be loved well. So what does this all have to do with the children of Israel sitting at the foot of Mount Sinai? What does this have to do with you shall have no other gods before me? Again, I think that one of the images that makes sense to me in being a father now is that I hear the tone of a father who is saying, don't go running to anyone. I'm the one who has delivered you. I'm the one who will care for you. My wife, a lot of people at our church that, that, that I, uh, I work at another church on Sunday mornings, and and uh a lot of people in the church have been, who have been walking with us through this whole process have said, when are you going to bring the twins? When are you going to bring the twins? You know, when are we going to meet them? When are we going to hold them? And all this kind of stuff. And it's like, it's awesome. That's great. But we need to teach you something. Right now, Simone and Justice need to learn that Kelsey's their mom and I'm their dad. And I can tell you that all of our friends that have had kids, they do not have a baby on Thursday and bring him to church on Sunday. Okay? There are weeks, there are even months, where that baby is learning to attach, to love that mom and that dad. I know a lot of you are a long way off probably from having kids, so this image might not make sense a whole lot to you. But think about this for a moment. It's our God that says, you shall have no other gods before me because he knows what the other ones will do for you or to you. At the moment that God uttered these words to the children of Israel, they had come out of a culture in Egypt where Egyptians worshipped as many as 700 gods at one time. And so if you were a farmer and you had a bad crop, you prayed to the God of, the, of, of your farmland. And then at the same time, if that didn't quite work out, and then you would, you would pray to the God of the weather and the storms. And then you would pray also to the God of, of kind of ancestors and the dead and the, and the living. And then you, you would get, think about how hard it is to balance your life even right here and right now. Imagine that if part of your mindset was that if things were going crappy for you, that there was one of the 700 gods that you had messed up with. Think about how hard it would be to live a life not knowing who, which God you had upset, what sacrifice wasn't enough, and what exactly had gone wrong? Who had you made upset to give you this lot in life? And so out of that is where God says, hey, you shall have no other gods before me. My pastor at home, a man named Earl Palmer is a New Testament scholar and kind of written a lot of books. And he has this book that I've been reading. And he says where each of the, the, the Ten Commandments, is, it's written in the negative, but behind it is what he calls kind of a grand positive. So the grand positive behind you shall have no other gods before me is this. I am your only God. I am your only God. You don't have to worry about the 700 false ones anymore. I'm your only one. Now, it was interesting. When I was studying this earlier this summer, um, there's a lot of things you can find out on the Internet. I don't know if you guys ever use this for your studies. I doubt it. But... um, On the internet, I just typed in, You shall have no other gods before me. Yahoo has a forum discussing religious things. Anybody ever been there? Okay. Um, Anybody here, any dropped any classes? We did. No, okay, never mind. All right. um, Yahoo had this forum. And I was reading these posts of these people discussing this topic. And this one person, couldn't tell if it was a guy or a girl, whatever, but um, said, You know, God must be so insecure. God must be some sort of diva that needs our worship for him to say something like, you shall have no other gods before me. And I kind of rested on that answer for a second. I said, huh. You just stop and think about it. Put this in your context for a second. You start dating somebody, okay? You meet him at here, let's just say. Uh, you know, whoa, it could never happen, I'm sure. But it's just hypothetically, okay? You meet him here. And you guys go out on a one-date. This Friday, it's the dinner, movie, typical first date kind of thing, right? Non-committal whatever. And the next day, you get a text message. You shall talk to no other guys but me. <laughs> or you shall talk to no other girls but me. How many of you, your first reaction is a little bit insecure, you text your girlfriends or guy friends. Right? That's what I don't know how many of us hear that when we hear God say, you shall have no other gods before me. But certainly this guy or this girl from the Yahoo forum heard that. And I started to think about what would make somebody think that when somebody is trying to be exclusive about something, a relationship, that they just back way up and go, no one's going to tell me what to do. You're not going to tell me. To, I'll do what I want. I'll see who I want. i talk to who I want. Here's the thing. Wrestle with this tonight when you go home. I think that the Bible teaches that we are all made to worship something. And if you don't worship the someone who made you to worship, then you'll worship something. You might not use the word Worship but it will occupy your mind, your thoughts, your energy, your time, your text messages, your emails, your Facebook status, whatever. It will do that because you are made to worship. And so when somebody in a Yahoo forum hears, you shall have no other gods before me, I think that that person and a lot of us along with them, though we might not ever vocalize it, we want to worship what we want, and sometimes that's ourselves. I want to, the best way I can illustrate this is this. is um, As I mentioned last week, I get to do a, a fair number of weddings, because it turns out that some people do meet in this place. And I want you to picture with me that, that um, there's this wedding, let's just call him uh, Steve. Steve. And who? Donna? Donna? Okay, sure. I'll go with that. Steve and Donna. Is that somebody famous or somebody? Or you just... You like Donna? Is there a Donna in the house? We're here somewhere? Okay. Steve and Donna. Steve and Donna. Beautiful wedding. All their friends come. Their core group is up there. Groomsmen, all that kind of stuff. Okay, it's great. Steve and Donna get married. And everything's awesome. They go on the honeymoon to... Jamaica. Jamaica came from over here. You said Hawaii. Okay, so whatever. Jamaica, and then they went to Hawaii right after that. So they, they come home, and I don't know how many of you, does anybody here have like young married friends? Okay, a handful. Wow, a lot of hands. Okay. You ever walk into their apartment, you know, house, whatever? What do they decorate with? Wedding pictures, exactly. There's tons of wedding pictures, right? Their groomsmen, their bridesmaids, but a lot of pictures of them. So there's wedding pictures all over the place. So let's say, who are we talking about? Steve and Donna. Steve and Donna, right above their bed, they have this beautiful, huge, poster-sized picture of the two of them. She's in her dress. She's in her tux. They're looking lovingly in their eyes. In each other's eyes. Okay. Now, Steve starts doing it, going to work. Donna is in school. She's a nursing student. Okay. So, and... Steve starts coming home, and three weeks pass, four weeks pass. It's beautiful. Now, one day, Steve comes home from his job, and he finds that, that above the bed, he's, you know, he's changing from his work clothes, that there's another picture. Donna's picture of an old boyfriend. Now, Steve doesn't think a whole lot about it because his picture with her is Still, the poster size one, and this is just an (laughs) 8x10. So Steve goes to work the next day, doesn't really say anything about it. Steve's not the brightest guy in the world, but um, (laughs) comes home the next day, there's three pictures. Middle school boyfriend, high school boyfriend, and some dude that she just, you know, connected with uh, in college. Now, this goes on for a while until all of a sudden the poster size picture of their wedding day is now an 8 by 10 and all the other pictures cover the wall. Now, <laughs> now, picture that with me for a second. The next day that Steve comes home, does he at all have a right to say, you shall have no other husbands but me? You shall have no other husbands but me. now. When God says, you shall have no other gods than me, I want you to picture that wall. What is hanging up on your wall right now? How many other pictures have you put up? Because the images in the scriptures that I read is our God is a father who loves us as he loves a tender child and a husband who loves his bride. And so he says, out of love, not because he's insecure, you shall have no other gods before me. When you know you've been loved well, you're not going to go running to strangers. And you know, I have been walking with college students here at UTC for, it's my 13th year on this campus. And I hate to say it, but I know a lot of you in these first few weeks are going to go running to a lot of strange things. And a lot of you, when you hear that phrase about being loved well, you're going to go back in your past. You're going to think about your family. You're going to think about people that have broken your heart. And you might get angry come up with excuses and go yeah I haven't been loved well well you can start believing and knowing now that there is one that loves you well and you don't have to go running to strangers my prayer that over these opening weeks that you would be so sure so sure of his love for you that when the guy drops some line on you, you know it's a line. And when the girl flirts with you guys, you know it's just a flirt. And you don't read into it and you don't change your entire class schedule. I'm not saying you did that. (laughs) But you know that you don't have to go running after the strangers. God is the one that says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Your name is written on the palm of my hand. You shall have no other gods before me. Let's pray together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, forgive us if we have ever thought that you are insecure. May we hear your commandment to follow you, to love you, to worship only you. As the the heart of a father and the heart of a husband who longs to love us. Lord, there are so many, there are so many things that we run after in this world. Pictures that we put on the wall of our heart. You help us to begin taking them down even now. And may we even tonight be renewed by your love for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.